I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Fourth quarter of the year 2020. The topic for this quarter study is education. And we are in lesson two, the family. Yes. And there's a lot to say about this. I want to remind people before we dive into the study that we have our study notes uh, available on the website here at the bottom That's of the right. screen. And you can go to our resources page of michigansspm.org and pick up those uh, as a study guide for yourself. Or you're free to make copies of them and distribute if you'd so like. Or you can just use it as a template if you want to make your own talking points. That's fine. But we encourage everyone to not just read through the lesson and follow rote day by day by day, yes. but to draw out some of those important points that can be uh, regardless of how long of a time frame you have, to get the main points across in the Sabbath School. And one week. of the things that we have done is we have started posting them as a two-side up front and back so that you can print them off. And if you have a two-sided printer, you print them. And just when you print them, you want to choose that uh, it would flip on the long edge. So then you have two sides and you cut it down the middle and it makes for a great handout. It's there an easy go. way to do a... If you wanted to use it for that purpose, again, you're free to use them how you want to. Absolutely. They're available. All right. Well, we have a great study today about the family. And of course, and when we talk about education in the Seventh-day Adventist context, we start always in the home, right? And so that's where this lesson begins, rightfully so. But before we begin that study, we need to start this with a word of prayer. Yes. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for, again, the opportunity to be students of your word and be learners at the feet of Jesus. Now, Lord, open your book to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us truths that we may already know, but in a better, deeper way, or may new truths that we need to have in our recognition and understanding. So be our teacher today, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's talk about, just right off the bat, are three talking points so we can like fill them out as we go along. What are the main extractions from this well, week's lesson? Prior to the three talking points, it's important to understand that the lesson is called the family, mm -hmm. but it's really talking about the homeschool. And even when I say that, <laughs> homeschool is a term, and maybe that's why they put the family here. <laughs> it's all, that is loaded it's with loaded lots now. of different things. Yeah. And uh, so one thing that we need to make clear in the lesson, I think makes clear is, Homeschool does not mean school at home. I'm not saying it can't mean school at home, but when we often talk about homeschool, we're talking about the very first school children have. And that doesn't consist of, you know, some people have said, oh, we're supposed to homeschool our kids, and I'm going to set them down at three years old with a book and notebook, and they're going to write out, but that's not they have the a very idea. curricular kind of structure. And so too, yeah. the lesson is trying to highlight the, the, the family as a, as a school, the home as a school. Okay. And I say that because then we go into our key points, Key point number one is example is the first class in the homeschool. Mm. Yeah, before any math or science or anything, is like example is the first class. And, like and we'll explain what we mean by that. Okay. Now, this is going to sound confusing until we get through it, but it's the second point, key point is communication. Communication is education is communication. It's and like the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> but there's a reason that I worded it that way, okay. and we'll highlight it when we get to it. Okay. But we're talking about communication, the importance of communication in the process of education. And then the final key point is that repetition deepens impression. Okay. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a good education includes a lot of repetition, and that's a biblical principle we're going to look at as well. Okay, so we have our 
overview that they we're not just talking about an instruction like a school planted inside the house, but we're talking about the home itself as a classroom and uh, all the lessons that come out of that. So let's dive into number one then. Example is the first class. What do we mean by that? Well, we, with the, in our introduction, we, the, we, I want to share the uh, statement found in Desire of Ages on Sabbath Afternoon's lesson. Oh, okay, go ahead. It says, From the earliest times, the faithful in Israel had given much care to the education of the youth. The Lord had directed that even from babyhood, the mm. children should be taught of his goodness and his greatness, especially as revealed in his law and shown in the history of Israel. Song and prayer and lessons from the scriptures were to be adapted to the opening mind. Fathers and mothers were to instruct their children that the law of God is an expression of his character and that as they received the principles of the law into the heart, the image of God was traced on mind and soul. Mm. Much of the teaching was oral, but the youth also learned to read the Hebrew writings and the parchment rolls of the Old Testament scriptures were open to their study. So you have from babyhood this, this teaching that takes place, and as we're going to find in the lesson, much of that started, well, all of it started in the home. Well, why might even nowadays think of Bible class? It's like, well, you can't really start Bible class. You can read the Bible. But they're saying like, well, and eventually it got to reading the Bible. That's right. But it started with all those principles being inculcated and discussed before even reading was a thing. That's right. And inculcated through first and foremost example. Okay. Example is the first class. Because, you know, what, what are you going to teach a, a toddler? What are you going to teach an infant that doesn't know how to read? You're, you're teaching from the beginning, from babyhood. And you're teaching by example. Mm. Now, highlighting quarter, uh, I mean, sorry, quarterly Sunday's lesson, yes. uh, paragraph five, Christian education is a commitment to educating families and members in doctrine, worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, and service. Home is where you minister to family members about the love and promises of God. It is where Jesus is introduced to children as their Lord and Savior and friend, and where the Bible is upheld as the Word of God. Family is where you model what a healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father looks like. That's a lot of yes. That's a lot to expect from a family, right? But it's uh, long before school. It's in the home. It, it it is a lot to expect, but then it's not. I mean that that what is a family if not that? What is a parent, a Christian parent, if they're not inculcating Christian principles to their children? Mm. And they do that whether they plan to or not. That's the whole, you know, the whole idea of example is, and, and as I put in the lesson here again, homeschool is not first and foremost a curriculum or a study of books. Mm -hmm. You're teaching your children by the way they watch you engage mm -hmm. with one another, the way they watch you interact with God. Um, it's interesting <laughs> that the lesson, yeah. you know, I've drawn this from Sunday's lesson and then Monday's lesson. You know, Monday talks about the childhood of Jesus, and then right off at the bat it says, you know, the lesson's called the childhood of Jesus. Scriptures says, give us very little detail <laughs> about the childhood of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and then their 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 scripture section actually talks about Joseph and Mary, okay, and their characters, okay. and you know what the some of the characteristics that that led to you know their faithfulness and their spirituality, and it's fascinating when you think about it. Uh, and you were commenting on this that. Yeah. Most of us can't pick our parents. Yeah, I've heard it. You, someone recently was discussing this with me, the idea that, you know, nobody can choose where you're born or what your parents are. You just end up where you are, except for God. That's right. He chose the parents for Jesus, right? And, and, let, and, and let me hit the pause button before you complete that. Put yourself in that mindset. If you could choose 
your parents and your where you were going to grow up and your home situation, mm -hmm. what would you choose? Right. And much of the criteria we would have, and we're like, this would be essential. Jesus did not choose. That's right. In fact, he, when he was collecting his first disciples, right, one of them said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? It was, right. it was how can possibly anything good? But God chose that his son would be raised be for born? 30 years. Eh, Nazareth. Nazareth looks good. He's like, no, that's the worst. But it demonstrates the power because uh, Mrs. White talks about this. I don't have quotes off the top of my head right here, but she repeatedly goes back to the idea that the, 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 the surroundings of Jesus were not just this pristine, Edenic, separate right. from the world. He had temptations all around and difficult circumstances to face, but his home life prepared him for that in dealing with those temptations that he developed a character that was centered on the work that was done in the home that in later life was... It was a foundation for his Right, because even work. though he was in a bad community, he lived in this very nice house, and they were up nope. on a hill far away from nope. everybody else. He had <laughs> issues of poverty and had a mixed home life. and I mean, it was all kinds of issues, but still, Mary and Joseph did their job uh, as the Lord instructed them to do and raised up not just a child, but the child of promise. That's right. And it's incredible. And again, this speaks to the power of example. I put the note here in our notes, Joseph and Mary were not chosen because of their wealth or their education, or their position. That's right. You can't say, oh, it's because... It's the only thing they're chosen for, as we see in Scripture, is their characters. And the, God the Father knew that their characters would help to provide the example... Mercy. ...that, that would be telling upon uh, the life of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, we cut, I'm sure we'll get into this later on, but... the. I'm reminded of We're both thinking, like, how much to say or looking at the clock? Yeah, it's, it's like, just... There's a lot we could get into it, because though the Bible doesn't say specifically much about it, there are there are strong hints in Scripture. You know, for instance, I, I think of when Jesus began his ministry, he comes back to Nazareth. You can find this in, I believe, Luke chapter 4, where he goes to Nazareth and it says, and, well, you can see it in Scripture, uh, it, it refers to Nazareth not just as his hometown or where he was right. from, but where he had been brought up. Yes. That he had endured an upbringing and yes. then immediately says, and as his custom was, he went in and said, how did he get that custom of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and standing up to read? Well, it's because he had been brought up in an influence that demonstrated and modeled that kind of fidelity to God and his church. And, uh, hmm. you know, these things were not accidents that Jesus just like, you know, came out with a good character and really knew scripture well and was committed to the church. No, that was built into him by his upbringing in the home. Yeah, I, I would most likely bring this up in the class. I didn't have it in our outline, just, you know, trying to... Keep it succinct, yeah. But there, there's a fascinating statement on Monday afternoon about how Jesus learned from his mother the words he spoke to Israel. I, like he is the depth <laughs> of it just blows your mind, you know? It does. So you have him... You have him learning and growing, but you have... And so there's obviously precept from the mother, but there's also the example of the parents. Yes. And there's a statement that comes to my mind that Ellen White makes where she says that one... Uh, and she's not just talking about parenting, but the, the principle's there. That one... Uh, one one example, good is example is worth many, many, many precepts. precepts. Right. Like you can teach a lot of things, but an example says so much. Yes, and, it does. And so little. And so uh, this would be a... This would speak very um, solemnly, for lack of a better expression, to us as parents mm -hmm. as to what kind of example we're providing in the home. Before any kind of uh, conventional 
teaching ever begins. Well, Wednesday's lesson kind of not it dives a little bit deeper into not just the yes. family in generic terms, but specifically the role of father and mother. Right. And uh, paragraph one there of Wednesday's lesson says, parents have an awesome res responsibility. The father is the head of the family, and the family is the nursery of the church, school, and society. If the father is weak, irresponsible, and incompetent, then the family, church, school, and society will suffer the consequences. Fathers should seek to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Um, and then it talks about mothers, too, have perhaps the most important role. And we get into this a little bit, and maybe you should just continue reading here, but mothers, too, have perhaps the most important role in all society. They have great influence in shaping the characters of their children and establishing the mood and temperament of the home. Fathers should do all they can to work with the mothers in the education of their children. The idea being that fathers and mothers have this equal responsibility with differentiated roles. That's right. And, and that's one thing that I, I drew out. And, you know, the lesson brings up Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about the head, father being the head of the home. And uh, this is just so contentious anymore. People, you know, they, they, uh, people immediately within the church want to jump on this as an inequality issue. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, how, you're saying the father's the head. Well, you're saying that men and women aren't equal. To, yeah. And uh, it makes me think of uh, when I do premarital counseling, I've got a young couple wants to get married. I use a program that... Um, it, there's a questionnaire that the couple fills out, and one of those pieces of questionnaire is on roles and responsibilities in the home. Mm. Like when you get married, who's going to do what? And I've got this sheet, and there are three columns. One says the husband, one says the wife, and one says both. And it's got stuff like washing the dishes, vacuuming the carpet, yeah. you know, Just taking care of the kids. That are essential. Yeah. Who's going to do which one? And in the instructions, now the couple's supposed to fill them out independently, but. You know, so don't confer. You put down in your eyes. Well, you it's, think. Yeah. It's helping them come together, you know, on where their thinking is prior to marriage. But they have a little note that says, too many boths will be suspect. And any married person knows, you're like, oh, we're both going to do that. Oh, we're going to both do that. Yeah, we're going to both cook dinner together. We're going to both do that. It just doesn't happen that way. Mm. It isn't practically happening, partially because of skill sets. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. There are some women, I've known women who, you know, that the, the guy doesn't fix the stuff around the house. The woman does and stuff like that. But the point is, because of aptitude, maybe they learned that growing up. But everybody has different aptitudes and different roles. Mm -hmm. And roles are not an equality thing. Right. Uh, so... Well, even Where in the, the father, very beginning of the Garden of Eden, they, we speak of, even before there were children in the mix, just the husband-wife yes. relation was a help meet, right? That they were supposed to be complementary pairs That's to right. make a holistic picture. And in the home, that seems to only make sense when perhaps the father has the more structural authority role, but the mother has the broader influence role. That's and they right. both are essential to the upbringing of Christian children. That's right. And their roles, as you said, complement one another um, I, I think it's interesting that the father is the, 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 again, the head of the household. He's the one that, and some people are like, oh, the head, it's like it's, this is esteemed position. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we forget that with authority comes responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't Eve that God went to after the first, after the fall of man, mm -hmm. right? Eve ate the fruit first, but who does God go to? He goes to Adam and he says, what's happened here? Yes. Uh, he had to bear the responsibility as the priest of that household. At the same time, it doesn't lessen, that doesn't say, oh, well, he must have been more important than Eve. Ellen White has some fantastic statements, and I've included a couple here. They're not in the lesson, but I've included them in the handout because they're just, to me, they're so powerful. First one is from Adventist Home, page 240, and it says, Next to God, the mother's power for good is the strongest known on earth. 
Mm. Not the fathers, the mothers. You can understand the father provides a certain level in most cases in the home of structure and has typically been the breadwinner. And of course, things have changed to some degree. And But I'm going to tell you that I don't care what society says. No father will ever replace a mother. That's true. You didn't, you, there's something you can, I don't understand what it's like to have somebody come from me. Yes. You know, to birth a child, and there's a yeah. bond there. Yeah. Ellen White says in other places as well that the mother, the strongest bond of love on this earth, outside of the love of God, is the love of mother for child. Well, even in this statement, next to God, the mother's power for good. Well, yes. pause right there. How much power for good does God have? Yes. He is omniscient, right? And the next thing next to that is <laughs> the, the mother's mother. power for good. So there's an influence wielded in the in the in that relation that is unique That's and right. irreplaceable. Why don't you read that next one from Fundamentals of Education? Oh, yeah, it's, it's powerful. Incredible. Though the results of her work are not apparent, angels of God are watching the careworn mother, noting the burden she carries from day to day. Her name may never appear upon the records of history or receive the honor and applause of the world, as may that of the husband and father, but it is immortalized in the book of God. And let's pause there and let you, you know, this was written at a time, and we still have the case. Even if a mother's a career woman, there are many women who, t who take a period of time off to raise their kids. And then what are you doing? A, a round of laundry and changing dirty diapers mm. and this and that. And it feels, and the, and the husband comes home and he's got this I've new... I've taken on the world. I've brought home the... He's got know, this like, new deal that he closed yeah, on this yeah, week yeah. and the work's giving him a bonus and all this. And he's got all these rewards that tell him he's appreciated. Where yeah. the mother oftentimes, mm. you just got the kids are... They, but I love how it's like, we just have <laughs> the book of God's record in heaven. That's huge, right? She is doing what she can, and her position in God's sight is more exalted than that of a king upon his throne, mm. for she is dealing with character. More she exalted than minds. that of a king upon his throne. Yes. Incredible. And again, Sorry. she's dealing with character. She's fashioning minds. And you talked about mm -hmm. the physical birthing process, and then, and then she molds that. That's right. The mothers of the present day are making the society of the future. How important that their children be so brought up that they shall be able to resist temptations they will meet on every side in later life! Exclamation mm. point. That's right. And I, wow. and I have to make this point that, because I've encountered it, and I know you have as a pastor, I've encountered it with my own wife. When my wife decided that she wanted to stop working and raise our children, uh, I've encountered a lot of young ladies who've had other women say, oh, what, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom? Like, you're some lesser thing? Like, right. you ought to go out and get a career like I have. And there, there are women who I believe innately, and I believe God puts this in, want to train up their children to be greater mm. than the king on the throne. And our society pressures them to feel like that's not somehow as important yeah. as going out and being the head of an advertising firm. Right. And it's just, it's, it's the devil, I believe it's the devil's way of tearing down our society mm. and helping mothers and others to devalue one of the most incredible, important, and powerful roles in this earth. Yes. And so, again, we're not highlighting fathers over mothers and mothers over fathers. I love but... you, Mom. <laughs> there you go. But on Friday's paragraph two, this statement is brought out from the book Education. The work of cooperation should begin with the father and mother themselves in yeah. the home life. In the training of their children, they yes. have a joint responsibility, and it should be their constant endeavor to act together. So, again, this is not saying that, mm. not imbalancing, but bringing into harmony those very institutions the Lord has established for the upbuilding of his kingdom. Now, we spent a lot of time on that, but all we that did. is dealing with example. It's all the power of example, and it is the first teacher, the first class that in school. are going to take is the okay. example of mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, so, we got to pick it up a little bit here. Um, 
<laughs> well, you laid the trap here by titling this next one, Communication is Education well, is Communication. That's because the lesson on Tuesday talks about communication, and it says in the very first sentence, in a very real sense, education at any level is communication. So I flipped that to say, and communication is education. In other words, when a child, when the children are younger, every bit of communication that takes place around them is teaching them. And so communication is education, and education is communication. You have this, you know, the point of the lesson, the lesson goes on to make the point also that education is communication, and communication is the basis for relationships. And they, they talked about the importance of teachers building a good relationship with the student, and so it is with the parents, but all of that is founded on effective communication. Uh, to see, that's the key, is effective communication. When we train churches, and I'm, I'm not going to get off the rails here too much, but about they need to, Ms. White talks about every church should be a training school, right? Yes. And I used to think it was such a powerful statement. It's like, friends, we need to start training in churches. And then I realized that every church is already training people, right. whether they're unintentional or not. You're training them by the influence, by the That's example. Exactly by right. And in the home, training of children will happen automatically. but And something is being communicated, but we need to be aware of that and choose to effectively communicate to guide that upbringing, right? Right, and the read section on Tuesday gets into that. I wrestled with this for a while because it says, read the following text. What can we learn from them about how to build strong family relationships or any kind of relationships? And I was reading that and I'm thinking, they don't really speak to relationships. And then it dawned on me, they all are actually speaking to communication, mm. which the lesson just made the point is well, the, the building block for a relationship. Good relationships right. come from good. So really I've retitled it uh, the question, what can we learn from these texts about good communication, communication skills? Right. And it brings up things about don't be angry, don't fret, speak what is acceptable, have meaningful conversations and, 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 and sharpen one another with those conversations, speak the truth in love. So a lot of it is speaking about speaking no evil. Not the content of communication, but the, 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 the conduit of communication. That's like right. The, the character of it. And, you know, you bring up this point that Obviously, you want to say good things. What you say is important, but equally important, and oftentimes more effective, is how you say it, right? That's right. That the how is is really critical in communication, not just the content. Right, and I put a little sub-point that emojis are the best thing that's happened to email. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you are old enough to, you know, now it's texting, whatever, it's similar, but before emojis, I mean, I've had situations where I send an email to somebody, and then you hear from... You don't hear from for a little bit, and you hear from somebody else like, oh, they're really mad at you. What do you mean? They're yeah. mad at you. Oh, I have that email you sent. What'd I say? Mm. You know, you can go back and read it. Well, they said you did it. Well, that's not what I meant. Right. But there's something that happens in, even I'm using that as an example, that if something is communicated in the wrong way or even perceived the right. wrong way, it totally changes what you're trying to get across. Absolutely. And so the lesson is speaking to the importance. Again, this is kind of, complementary to the example part we talked right. about in the home before you're ever into any classes right how you communicate the tones well, of voice you use it's Ellen examples talks about in words it, not yeah. talking in a fretting tones to your children mm. and exasperated tones and things like that which i wish i could say i'd never done yeah. but they have you can see you can sometimes you can actually watch a child wither under a certain tone mm. of voice and so these are things that are very important to have those to 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 cultivate these proper communication skills. Mm. Well, coming back to the lesson, you find this in paragraph three of Tuesdays. Yes. It says, in other words, good teaching works on the emotional and personal level as well. 
In the case of the family as a school, this is so very important. A good relationship must be built between the student and the teacher. And so communicating not just facts and figures and, and data, but you need to communicate in the character of Christ so that you can have that winsome, open, continuing, growing relationship. That's right. And Critical. The, and the lesson also draws out the importance of establishing good communication prior to your children hitting puberty and becoming teens because things change. And I can tell you that with a teenager, you know, there's a whole new world that you get into and you don't want to wait. You know, children, they, they start to kind of test you a little bit and they start to, you know, think mm -hmm. that maybe you don't have it figured out and question you, you know, whatever. And it's, it's kind of this testing period and pushback period. And you want to have developed communication lines with your children by that point. Mm -hmm. uh, it might all be happy. It might not all be happy communication. You know, that part of that communication, well, I don't agree with you and I don't want to, but you want but that. But keep talking. That's keep right. Talking. Versus yeah. not talking at all. And Amen. so that happens early. And so communication is just uh, a, a key part of homeschool the, the yeah. education, home education. Well, finally, our talking point number three is repetition deepens impression. Yes. And... <laughs> You know, in the home, you you only have so many stories, so many words, so many illustrations. You just go repeat them over <laughs> and over. And you might think, well, I need to, and, and I hear this a lot of times, like, I want to go to a school that has more options, more. So variety is the spice of life. Yes. I want more options. When the reality is that a few things done well is critical to quality education. Right. And we draw this, the lesson uh, highlights it on Thursday, and they go over Deuteronomy 6, which is, you're reading most of Deuteronomy 6 here, and it's such a powerful chapter. And obviously, we don't... And if I were teaching this lesson, I wouldn't have time to get into all of it on a Sabbath morning. It, it, if, if I wanted to cover the points of the lesson. But I certainly would hope to, and Spend encourage... Spend a little time, though, to, in the Word yeah. this Sabbath. This is good stuff. Yeah. Well, and I have to say that in talking points, we don't look up a lot of the text just because of the time that constraint that we have. But if, but if we you have were, a full hour or something in the Sabbath, we certainly time. would be Absolutely. looking these things up. But I do want to look this up in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. Um, and I don't, I've got the wrong place. It says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets in, uh, between your eyes. Or it says, you know, a sign in your forehead in uh, like the NIV. Um, verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So it shall be, etc. Now, this phrase in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. Teach them diligently is, is one Hebrew word. And the Hebrew mm. word actually is a word that means to wet or sharpen a blade. And uh, Adam Clark brings up this point in his commentary on that verse, that the, the sharpening of the blade is done by reiterated friction or grinding. Mm -hmm. And he's making the point that it's, it's using a term, that's why... It's not translated teach, which the word means, but to teach diligently. It's to teach repetitively. So the rest of the passage is explaining how that yes. diligence takes place when you lie Every down, when you walk by the way, when you get up. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the, the words of God, these lessons, you know, Bible stories and, and nature lessons and all the things that you learn about God, you shouldn't just, well, I covered that when you were three. I guess right. we're done. You cover it again, and you cover it again, and you cover it again. Right. You grind it almost into them. And that sounds so negative, but the reality is 
the New International translates it, impress them upon your children. It's much like Isaiah 28, where it says you're to teach line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little there. It's talking about that repetitive nature of teaching. And we know that even in sermons, you, you understand more if there's, you know, repetition. Repetition deepens impression. Don't be afraid of not being novel with everything and being <laughs> yeah. exciting and new. It's all exciting and new. No, just repeat those. Sing them over again to me, wonderful those words wonderful of life. Moments. Yeah. Um, it's key in good education. Well, one of the good discussion questions is on page 19, the bottom of Thursday's lesson, yes. where it's referencing Deuteronomy chapter 6, specifically verse 7, about how that diligence plays out in the life, sitting down and laying, you know, walking by the way. Yes. The question is asked, what is the point here, and what should it tell us about how crucial it is to always keep the reality of the mm -hmm. Lord before not just our children, but our own selves as well? That would be a very good discussion question in your Sabbath school class. It's like, what does it mean to be diligent? What are some applications of that in our lives even today? That's right. And the Lord in Deuteronomy 6, he's not just speaking for the kids, for all of Israel. And he said, you're going to, in fact, he tells them, you're going to go to the promised land. You're going to, you're going to go away from me. You're going to get comfortable, etc." And so Moses, write this down, repeat it to the people so that, that it's going to get ingrained right. in their minds. And All right. So let's say we do all of this right. All right, good influence, good communication. Therefore, our children will be straight as an arrow for the rest of their lives, correct? <laughs> um, <laughs> train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. What does that mean? That's kind of in the context of this. Um, when all said and done, the best home example is not going to always yield the desired results. I have to be careful on how I say that. Um, we have expectations, and oftentimes our expectations are dashed. Because our children, and the lesson highlights this, they have free wills, they have free choices. Yes, they do. But I want to be careful to say that just because your child, I've had parents come to me and they cite to me Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way you should go and when he's old he won't depart. I sent my kid to Adventist schools and they, they don't even go to church now. They know this, that, and the other. And what about this promise of God? Well, I don't read this promise as saying train up a child in the way that he should go and he'll never do anything wrong and he'll never do, I don't, I don't think that's what it's saying. I mm. When he is old, he will not depart from it. I think there's a period where kids test things. But what was it you said earlier? This gives them the best opportunity to right. be saved. And I've told parents that, listen, kids go and they test you. They question things. And, and, and I had one pastor tell me, you know, when your kids hit teen years, they're going to forget everything you told them. You're going to have to teach them again. They're going to test everything to get it because they got to learn it for, the, for themselves. And... You know, I went through that in my life. Um, but when the Lord was able to get my attention, I wasn't scratching my head and saying, what do I do? Where do I go? Like you were talking about, say they go off and they're sitting in the bar drinking. Mm -hmm. It's they not like they forget that it's Sabbath or they forget that no. what they're doing is wrong. In fact, it's because they know that. They know there's a border, a boundary that's been established, and they know they're crossing it and they're making choices. But you have given by that godly upbringing them a foundation for decision making that is their best opportunity to know That's God right. and choose for him. So we can't control and their choices. The Lord won't even dictate their conscience, but you can establish in them a framework for decision making. They're never going to enjoy sin like other people. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's, it's not You know, we know. And I, like yeah. I said, I've been there. I remember being in that, that situation, and you, there's a knowledge. And when there's a knowledge of, of where you need to be, the Lord can use that. Mm. And uh, I think of a, a statement in Great Controversy, uh, it's page 98, speaking of John Huss, and, you know, John Huss's family was poor, He's a, is, he was a, an orphan uh, from his father's angle, his mother 
was a poor woman, and it says here that when she had decided to send him to the University of Prague, it was all she could do, trying to give him the best education and what have you. It says, John Huss was accompanied to, on the journey to Prague by his mother, widowed and poor. She had no gifts or of worldly wealth to bestow upon her son. But as they drew near to that great city, she kneeled down beside the fatherless youth and invoked for him the blessing of their father in heaven. Little did that mother realize how her prayer was to be answered. And you, mm. that's just such a powerful statement when you think about what John Huss changed the world. Mm -hmm. you, you, we wouldn't be sitting here having this yes. today if it wasn't for John Huss because that mother knelt down and prayed and there are fathers and mothers who've knelt down and prayed for their kids and they may seem like they're off here, there, mm. or somewhere else, but we have no idea. We, 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 uh, little do we realize how God intends to answer some of those prayers. Mm. Mercy. What a powerful and peaceful comment we can leave this mm. with that the we'll do our best and of course it's always going to fall short but the lord will keep the his lord promise is mighty to save. and he is mighty to save Amen. let's bow our heads for prayer heavenly father thank you so much for being a god who not only establishes these principles in the abject term but lord you you work through us and you have promised to be with us and with our children as we seek to raise them in the fear of the lord Please, Lord, help us to be true educators and learners at the same time at the feet of Jesus. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.